0: Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright. As it moves across my face, I feel the light. I release the desire to compete and embrace my ability to create. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And we're talking about some kind of cool, interesting, fun, sort of different stuff today kind of intellectual property, kind of insecurity about being copied kind of competitive people, kind of any time that these sorts of insecurities come up in public everyday life in a way which kind of raises some red, well not, it's not so much red flags, but whenever I see it, I sort of think, oh, something's going on over there. Exactly. Why are they so threatened? What's that all about? Exactly. <laughs> I want to give it so The was... idea of this episode actually came up from last week's episode where we were talking about, the girl that goes to the dinner and ignores the other girls and just wants to focus on the guys and competes for that guy. Right. I went, oh, it's a big topic. Yeah. And I recently saw a post on Facebook uh, where somebody was saying they were, you know, sick of once again somebody had copied their program. And, you know, it's a pretty generic post. you see it all the time. And I thought, you know, there's so much to say around this, this copying thing. In the early days of my being on planet Earth, I was a choreographer and it was something that I loved doing but I actually didn't find it easy. I had to work really hard to choreograph. And then in those days there wasn't the internet where we can be inspired creatively by so many other people's work. And so I held on really tightly to what I'd created and I was furious every time I saw somebody rip off my choreography and it used to happen all the time. Because there were limited places for people to be inspired and uh etc. And it used to eat me up inside. And it wouldn't be, no matter whether it was that, then I moved into being an entertainment producer if I came up with ideas, I'd see them being whipped off by other people, blah blah blah. Until I realised have I really come up with an original idea or have I just been influenced by other people, whether it's conscious or subconsciously? Is there such a thing as a new idea? I don't know. But what I do know is that if you are somebody who creates things and we create doesn't mean creating is making things happen. If we are somebody who is creative, you are probably not going to live long enough in this lifetime to create everything that you are capable of creating and desiring to create. So let it go that if somebody else needs to allegedly take your work and reproduce that under their Banner, let that go and instead celebrate the fact that you will have another idea and another idea and another idea that you will continue to create. So that's the first thing that I found in my healing to stop the pain of that, to stop the the rot that was festering away inside of me of anger and resentment and it's not fair, etc., etc. But the other thing I find really interesting is that how often do we see where there is something is invented let's use the word invented or created but it's actually created simultaneously across the globe by several different people now why is that because every person that's walking this planet is channeling now whether they're aware of it or not they are tapping into something much greater than themselves so it makes sense that when we've got access to the universe and we've got access to come up with new thought processes for ourselves that we've Tapped into upstairs management, as Beck would say, and come up with a new idea. Doesn't it make sense that somebody else has tapped into that same superhighway and come up with it at the same time as well? 100 monkey syndrome. It's like that four minute mile. No one thought it was possible until it was possible, and then everyone did it. And so all of a sudden, when something becomes possible, it sends this, as you know, Abraham would say, rockets of desire, like these rockets kind of just shoot out into the atmosphere of possibility, just tingling with. The energy, and this is, you know, also how I believe not so much fads but trends really gather momentum because my girlfriend, we've had her on here, Christina Driesen, who's the international trend forecaster, talks about this so fascinatingly about how trends come from wherever there is, a gap or a longing or a yearning or a need. So if everyone's over here doing this thing, it means soon the other thing's gonna be needed because we'll, we'll the pendulum will swing back to, oh, we haven't done this for a while, let's go back over here. So in fashion it might be, well we've done brown fur for ages, let's go to shiny metallics or or soft pinks or something, or floral goes to stripes, or I don't even know. But it's it's always kind of goes to the polar opposite of where we've been, you know, long skirts then we go minis or pants or, you know, and but then when it's it's greater concepts like um well I always think of the supermarket as the classic. Yeah, right. You know we used to have we used to go to the the, the little guy with the fruit and veg and we'd go to the butcher and we'd go Nook to the baker and, and we'd go to the Exactly. And then these big super supermarkets came out and that was all convenience and easy and fast. And now we're all going back to the little stores again. Yeah, that's right. It's it's exactly that kind of stuff that that I'm talking about. Um and so when when trends begin to to, to gain momentum. It's fascinating because you'll hear the people that go to the big trend conferences in, in Europe and America and they basically go to find out what the world's going to be doing in say two or four years time. So on the catwalks in 2019, we're actually going to be seeing this because it's been prepared now and it's, it's going to gain momentum until it gets to that point and the whole world knows about it. Now, what is interesting is that all these people will show up at these big conferences. And they'll find that everyone who's presenting, who hasn't collaborated, who haven't talked, who've got nothing to each other, are all showing the same things. How do they do that? Well, that's kind of a psychic spiritual ether, isn't it, that Jane's talking about? It is. About. It's tapping into the superhighway of information. And the very first psychic I ever saw who was so super old school, like, God bless her cotton socks. She's just the kind of psychics a bad name. But, like, <laughs> like, she was great but not so great at the same time. But, you know, and because like a lot of those little old lovely backyard ladies who are genuinely brilliantly psychic but they've got so much of their own unhealed wounds and baggage that they've never worked on that everything comes through this quite muddy filter that you sort of – you can't always trust everything you get from them because they see a hot young woman come in the door and they're immediately threatened so they tell yeah. you you're going to have a miscarriage or a car accident, whatever. No, she wasn't quite that extreme but I, I do remember she said to me something like something very fear-based like, oh, I had that if, too. If you get a good idea, you hold on to it very tightly because mm-hmm. the minute that you have that idea, it can go up and everyone will know about it and they'll steal it and take it from you. Take it from you, Jane. <laughs> Stolen. Well, that, that is, that's very much. Hold your card, hold your cards close, close to your chest. Your chest. Yes. Be careful who you tell. Yes. Everybody's out to get you. They're all going to take a good idea. Well, guess what? Most people are not doers. Most people go, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that too. But guess what? They haven't got all the other skills that it takes to pull it off. So don't worry about it. But even if they did, competition is healthy. It gets you to be motivated to do your version of whatever it is you're doing, the best you can do. And, you know, people, I'm aware of my so-called competitors. I actually think of them more as, um, well, they're not co-workers. What are they? They're just other people within my industry. They're in the industry. You know, I'm aware of what's going on in my industry. Do I spend hours agonizing over it? No, not at all. I'm so busy worrying about doing my job the best I can do it and how I can improve and continually evolve my businesses so that they can be the best versions of themselves. Like it's one thing to have a healthy take on what your competitors are doing. It's probably smart in business. It's another thing to be spending hours scrolling somebody else's Facebook page, ripping off the colours and the theme of their website, like this woman said, stealing her program. like that. I mean a lot of that does get into intellectual property, which is a really quite interesting area. But, you know, it's interesting. In a lesser version of this, Jane, I've got a friend that every time I see her, whatever she says to me, she'll always follow it up with, but don't tell anyone. will you? you won't tell anyone this, will you? You won't say anything to me, will you? Even if it's just about really banal sort of stuff, and I'm like, who cares? first of all, who am I going to tell? Who cares? Why yes. do you think it's so important? Yes. And what, like, what's going on there? Yeah. It's just what insecurity. Insecurity. Absolutely. Insecurity. But it's also a habit. People have this habit. It's, it's. They've not had the discussion. They've not actually stopped and consciously thought, why do I hold my cards so close to my chest? I don't have any proof that people are going to do anything negative about this. Yeah just I go for it there's a lot of the old mum and dad stuff too like um oh you know have your security don't take a risk work hard you know don't do anything that's too left field or bizarre or d- that isn't proven formula like it's all that kind well, of Well, we fell down there didn't we back we must be great disappointments to our parents <laughs> <laughs> what do you do for a living again don't even don't I not don't ask don't explain it don't worry about it <laughs> I, I say to my children, where are you going, mummy? What do you do for work? I, Listen, darling, I'm just going to go talk to a lady about being happy, all right? Perfect. Perfect. I can understand that when they're four, you know? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I was at um, Bride to Be magazine a billion, billion years ago, it was like lifetimes ago, um, I remember I met this wacky, cool stationer in Sydney. She was this 20-something mad artist creator big Greek girl, big Greek hair, big earrings, crazy coloured outfits. She just would – I don't even know what – Well, I think back to it. She must have been going to craft shops and getting all these bits and pieces and then she would do up wedding stationery like you've never seen. Like this was back in the early 2000s when, you know, the internet was in its primitive stages. So Pinterest and stuff, a lot of these cool ideas hadn't kind of been thought up of just how creatively far you could take stuff. So she would have – each invitation would come in its individual box and it'd be wrapped in raffia and rosebuds and seashells and like all of this creative she'd put messages in bottles and she'd like glue sand to stuff and put candles in like she did the most amazing creative concepts and each invitation was like five to ten dollars each think of that for a wedding of 300 <laughs> and it's just the invitations and that was in the early 2000s god knows they probably 15 dollars a box now anyway None of this stuff had kind of been seen before. I mean, it's, as crazy as that sounds, because I know that sort of stuff is so run-of-the-mill now on the internet and whatever, and, but she was really being a pioneer. Now, of course, what happened was every other stationer in Sydney went to the Bridal Expo, walked past her tables, because there was a huge crowd of people going, oh, look at this, never seen this before. What was happening was not only were the brides themselves going home, going to craft shops and copying what she was doing on the cheap, but the other stationers were just totally... Blatantly, not even embarrassedly ripping off her ideas like complete rip-offs. And I just remember having a chat with her once about it and she, was, she just had a really good attitude. She just was like, she said, do you know what my motivation is? My motivation is the week before the next big bridal expo is I know that all those other stationers are going to be spending the last four to six months, you know, bashing out all their little replicas and what I've been doing. And, and, and she's going have, to have something yeah, new. They'll have them all on the stands ready to go. And I'm just going to upgrade and blow them all out the water with something they've never seen before. And then all the brides will be like, Oh, we saw rosebuds last year, but this year, like, look at this now. And then they and she said that just drives my fire. Exactly. I is, love that. That's the only advice I've ever been told in business is you never, never, never must worry about being copied as long as you you keep innovating all the time because nobody nobody can copy your individual fingerprint that's you, right you're a snowflake you are a special snowflake what does that mean it means that your combination of experience creativity mental ideas you know motivation inspiration soul purpose is a unique fingerprint Nobody in the world can copy what who you are. And essentially, isn't that all business is? You're just being paid to be who you are or it should be yes. if you're, if you're yes. really in alignment. Yes. Um, Jane. And the reality is that she probably had all of the clients that she could handle anyway. So what's the competition? You know, it's- a- Yeah, and this is the next point. Is that So I have got an email from a friend the other day. She's like, oh, I'm having such a down day. I just feel so depressed because... This idea that I've been generating for like the last 18 months quietly in my home studio and I'm writing a book and I've got all this idea around it and everything, I've just seen that there's a woman in America who's already branded it, she's already doing it, she's already out there and it's all done and I just feel so disparaged in my... Life. But it's not done here. And, and I said to her, are you crazy? It's Okay, first of all, you're going to be completely different to her because you're you and she's her and people always have different tribes. They have different vibrations. Also... There's, has anyone noticed how many people live on the planet lately? Like it's about six billion. Do you think one person is enough to cover off six billion people's wants and needs? Exactly. We need to embrace abundance in the sense that we need oh, as many natural pastors yes. as we can get. We need as many awesome primary school teachers as we can get. We need as many psychics as we can get. We need as many cool revolutionary women in leadership in government as we can get. You know, there's not there's no tap on this. Like there's, and this is what I'm fascinated by when when gurus will say, "Oh, everything's copyrighted. You must not reproduce anything." Yeah, you know what? we say about our love life content go for it because we need more people that are spreading stuff like this yes. we need people to be doing it you taste. know the whole hsp thing i didn't invent that i learned that from dr Elena and aaron and what happens, I'm spreading her stuff and then other people are hearing what we're saying about it and they're putting their spin on it and yeah. their stories and spreading and, it. You know, then, Elaine did it in her time in the 90s or 2000s. Jane's doing it in her time in, in the 20 teens in a totally different energy, in a different country with a different tribe, and it's a fantastic message and on it spreads. And, you know, that's why we've said to you guys, we've kicked you up the arse and we've said, if you've got ideas for wellness businesses, if you want to be wellness coaches, if you want to have like inspiring blogs, share them put them on our Facebook page create that hype it's going to roll like the you know the snowball effect is going to affect other people who are just going to be like I've always had an idea like that how come she could do it and I can't and then you kick yourself up the bum and you go and do it and it spreads and spreads and spreads and there's something for everyone and let me also tell you another little tip about the create not compete thing every now and again there's a new dating concept that starts up and I will admit that I'll go into a moment of fear every single time of, Oh my God, is this going to be the one that wipes out my business? And that lasts for half an hour or <laughs> actually lately much shorter. And then I go into, you know what? I know what I'm doing. I know why I'm doing it. This is my soul work. This is my heart that sings. I know my integrity. I know my mission. I know my stuff. And I'm just going to keep worrying about what I'm doing and not worrying about what anyone else does. For sure. And so you know with all of your stuff that is your original stuff that this is your passion. And passion can never, ever be copied. It's not rep- Never. It's not. It's it not- absolutely is and not. This- now, People who go, oh, that's a good idea, I'm going to do that, will usually have, not always, but usually the motivation will be because it's going to make money. Right. Whereas I yes, I I do make money from doing what I do, and I hope I make a lot more money in the future. You know, bring on more of financial abundance. Absolutely, that'll be great. Thank you very much, Universe. Deliver. <laughs> However, the motivation for me doing this is not money; it's the happiness, and I can earn money, so it's combining the two. Versus somebody who goes, "That's a good idea. I'm going to do that because I can make a heap of money." Yeah, well, it's not I see, going I see to have that the working same over energy. there. I'm going to flog that product out because it's, it's, yeah, it's just not going to have the same energy. Yeah. But the other thing that I want to bring back to humbleness of being a creator is that I remember very distinctly coming up with an event theme that I was doing when I was producing that I was absolutely sure was mine. And and it was a fabulous event, cost the client a squillion. I used to say I was very good at spending other people's money and having great parties. (laughs) However, it was quite a few years later that I was still, you know, I can't remember whether it was, I think it was in a a journal, an old magazine that I was going through. And I realized I'd ripped off that whole thing, the whole thing. I'd seen it in a magazine, an industry magazine. And I not registered consciously and I'd reproduced it. Now, of course, because it was just a photo, um, I reproduced it in my way. But we don't know where our inspiration comes from. Sometimes it's from a conversation you had with someone. Sometimes it's from something that you saw or watched or listened to. We don't know. So I'm also humble about anything that I create, recognize that it is a co-creation with the universe. And that may mean that I've been inspired by somebody that's in this lifetime or maybe I plugged into something upstairs, management gave me a great idea, but I don't know where it came from. All I know is that I enjoy creating, And I don't do it alone, that it's a big team that does it. And therefore, that keeps you humble because that keeps you going, you know what, maybe I have ripped something off. I'm sure I've ripped off. I've ripped off is an Aussie expression. I'm sure I have stolen or copied is a better word. I'm sure I have copied other people's work many, many times without consciously realizing it. But then I look at when I wrote my first book. I was inspired by so many different authors. There would have been bits that were taken from their teachings that I've then put my own spin on it. That is part of being inspired and gathering your own version of everything. And in fact, this whole podcast is inspired by Bob Proctor. Bob Proctor, I've been listening to a lot of his work recently and really love his program, Thinking into Success. And one of the things he talks about is to create, don't compete. And hence, the title of our podcast for this this week, yeah, it's like. Um, and if you if you have been influenced by somebody, just reference them. It's like, it doesn't make your stuff any less because you've been influenced by somebody else. Like that older days about "there's there's nothing new under the sun," and and uh, you know it's only seven stories. It all just kind of goes around and around again. And like Lauren Hill raps in one of her sons there everything you do has already been done. Like it's it is, but but yeah, you know, there's always freshness that that can be that can be brought into it. But I exactly. I want to talk about vibration. Because that's actually what I think both Jane and I are really talking about here when we talk about the fact that you and nothing you ever create is replicable. Why? Because it's not a product, a brochure, a colour, a logo, a service, a software product, an app. It's none of that stuff. It's a vibration. It is a vibration. Now, because this is, this actually, this episode seems to be, in a sense, quite business geared. It's like we're actually talking a lot about business today. Um, Let's, well, except that let's bring that back to dating. Yeah, are true. you competing for the guy? Okay, are you true. competing for the girl? Well, we're we'll talking. Let's talk about competitive people in a minute because that's kind of a different realm. It's oh, I could do a whole podcast on that. Right. Just come back from, from <laughs> yes. This yes, international sporting event. This is true. <laughs> um But you know, when we look at um that little old dinky Italian diner down the road, which has been there since 1957, it hasn't changed its menu. The lino is peeling. It's not that you know, it's it's a bit shabby, it's always packed and has been for five decades. Like these kind of places, What you know, there's other Italian places, there's smarter Italian places, there's places with more expansive menus, there's places with better decor, there's places with better parking, whatever, there's places that are open more hours. How come they don't have the same buzz as this place? If you were to quiz any of the people that religiously always go to that iconic old Italian diner, they'll give you answers like, um, if they're really probed they, and they're quite self aware, they might say things like, just when I step over the threshold, it's just this feeling of oh, I always feel warm there and they you know, treat me like family. They're, and you know what they're basically saying is, it's like they're going home, it's like they've been given soul food. It's it, What they're saying is, they're getting a vibrational delivery, they're getting an experience. That's a great example. They're buying an experience. Another one would be when you go into a home, you're looking for a new home, you're buying house shopping. And you go into all these open inspections you can go into two identical homes, one feels great, one doesn't, one feels cold. And, you know, it's. you could argue it's like Apple versus Microsoft and what went on there when Simon Sinek wrote in his book Start With Why and he talks all about why do some brands succeed when others don't when technically they're the same fucking junk made in the same Chinese factory or whatever it is. But it's because, not okay, Apple is not made in the Chinese factory. I take that back to all Californians and Silicon Valley people who are doing a very good Made in America job. However... The point is, Apple is selling a vibration. They're selling a, are you cool? Are you innovative? Are you into cool, clean lines and slick, you know, interfaces? And are you into being an ahead of the game? And are you into this kind of posse? And are you, that's what they're selling. It's a vibrational club. It's not a product in a box. It's not a price tag. Especially when you look at their eye products that everything smashes and the cables don't work and yet what happens? A new one comes out and Jane's the first there to get it. I know, right, you know, I've got at the moment I've just repaired um three iPads, two phones Um, I'm constantly buying new. Katie. Are you listening up there, Steve Jobs? Yeah, Steve. Come on. (laughs) A few things to say to you. However, I'm I'm into the vibration. We're talking about vibration today, but let's talk about competition because there's some people who are just naturally A-type personality, aggressive, anxious, antagonistic, dominant, goal and achievement orientated. Well, that would be me. It's in their DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just say it a bit nicer, though? (laughs) There's nice things about A-types as well. No, that's taken straight off the psychology page. No, but it's, I mean, hey, we've all met A-type. Some of us may be A-type personality. It is a good thing because it, these are the people that get ahead in life that have perfectionism. We're doers. Yeah. They, you get shit done, attention to detail, do things properly, do things well, strive forward, you know, all of that kind of thing. Thank you. The problem Police is. Please just put a nice spin on I it. I have. Tell me the problem. The problem is when it goes into a shadow side. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was. And I was incredibly competitive. And, you know, I've got friends. She's got her arms crossed right now, body language. Oh, I have. Ooh, oh, I've got very defensive. Uncross the okay, arms. Okay, uncrossed. They're uncrossed. Arms facing <laughs> upwards, please, Jane. <laughs> now tell me a story. Oh, That being dear. competitive. Uh, look, I was very, very competitive because it was validating myself. So it was seeking external validation to prove that I am worthy and I'm good enough. From you, your dad, your mum? What's the story? Oh, I competed on anything. I'd compete on two flies no, going up enough, a wall. good enough to hurt two flies going up the wall. I would. God, you're hilarious. I would compete on anything, anything. But is, is that like a primal need to go back and be like, I'm good enough, mum, I'm good enough, dad, approve of me? Yes, is that exactly, what it was? exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then as I gathered evidence that I was hard work to be around because of my sensitivity – I had to prove to myself that I was worthy. Yeah. So it was proving it to me as well. And you know, the audience never got big enough. How did you overcome that competitive self love? Self love, she says in a throwaway remark at the 23rd minute. And then we move on to the next topic. Well, because it's actually just listen to episodes one through to 123 and you'll get there. <laughs> No, but because I can't, it is everything that we have shared in this podcast of everything that I have done to get to the place I am now. The layering effect of all the different tools and yes. techniques that you can do around self acceptance, self-belief, self-worth, self-love and self-esteem, all of which will bring yes. you to a much more healthy point of letting go and not caring exactly. and not using Facebook to have your rants and your validations and what do people think of me and you know all of that kind of it's, it's, I would say I only stopped competing four or five years ago. That's how long it took me. So it took me 40, I don't know, 47 years or something to get there. Yeah. But it's so wonderful when you get there. How's it changed your life? Oh, peaceful, peaceful, but also, um, so much more peace, calmness, happiness, but excitement too. And, and actually connection with others. I think recognizing and being able to be in the presence of people who say they're competitive. And I actually don't see competitive people as being competitive. They're people that are just seeking validation, external validation. They will bulldoze you to get it though, so you might need to operate a little bit of self-protection. No, I've had to have massive self-protection, particularly in the sports world, particularly. Yeah, Yeah, it's quite Um But I'm teaching my children, you know, Tara's just come back from playing volleyball in Thailand and i teaching her about you're not actually competing. You are creating. You are creating the best version of you. That is what you're doing as a volleyballer on the court every single time. You're actually not competing against the other team. You're not competing against your teammates for court time. You're competing against yourself to create, to create the best that you can be be in those skills that you're working on at the moment to develop. Um, And it's so freeing because you're just not a part of the bitching. You know, a part of, you know, they were going really well and winning and then they lost the game and suddenly some of the girls turned on each other. And she was like, "Mom, I, I don't know. And I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm not joining in. And I went, great, what else are you doing? She went, well, I, I want to put in a few positives. I went, go for it. Do it. Do it. Compete against yourself if you've got to compete. I, I would rather that. that you create. But if I I am highly competitive and yet people think I'm not because I don't behave in the competitive way that they traditionally think it is. I am highly competitive against myself. yeah, And I want to be the best version of, of myself that I can be in whatever it is, whatever area of my life I'm applying it to it at this particular point. So a really good question to ask yourself off the back of this episode today is, what am I competing in? Look, uh, well, yeah. look at the areas of your life. That, yeah, that's you, a great question. A bit of a chart. Well, Jane, it was actually yours and I wrote it down before we started recording. Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for the kudos on that. Yeah, sorry, now I'm attributing that back to you. No, but J- Jane did. Because otherwise she could have been stealing. <laughs> I just stole John's intellectual property. Do you like that twist? Who, hands up who likes the twist. No. Okay, no, because at the start of the episode we were brainstorming a whole bunch of stuff and one of the things that Jane just said is here it is on the computer. What are you competing in? So let's ask ourselves, let's look at the areas of our life that carry a bit of a charge on them. What gets your hackles up? What makes you go, oh, have to be better than, or, oh, what's she up to? Or, or, you know, and whatever it is, again, it doesn't have to be business. It could be, you know, does the lady next door. It could be, or, do you have the best figure? Like, better pies your than you. friends, Or do you, yeah, yeah. exactly. Are you yeah. the best present, uh, well presented? Are yeah. you the prettiest? Are you the funniest? Are you the yes. cleverest, the kindest, the whatever? Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. And we, we really want to be looking at, Though it's never about the thing that you think it's about, that is merely a mirror or a trigger, as always, for a more deep-seated insecurity or self-worth issue that you haven't quite made peace with yet and come to terms with yet. So you can use those little red flags out there in your life, the things that are pushing your buttons and getting under your skin. Pay attention to them and what they are because they're leading you back to a deeper question of the self of where am I feeling that I am not good enough? Where am I feeling that? I need to compete to get what? Ask yourself, what? What emotion are you chasing here? What is the feeling you think you're going to get by winning? And you might actually be surprised. It's probably just something basic like, okay, I'm good enough. Good enough according to whom? The judges? That is often it. You know, when I see parents that are badly behaved at sports, um, it's always because they want their child validated. They want their child seen, heard. Oh, they're living out their own bloody inner child issues. Well, there. they like, are, yes. but at the same time, the Many way to pages. soften that, I make sure when I pick the instantly the aggressive parent, um, is to instantly compliment their child, instantly, and it just softens it all. Gotcha. I've got to sit next to them, then I've got to soften it. <laughs> got <Gotcha. Whatever. laughs> You're the one that's got to sit with them in the grass yes, that's seat. it. Exactly. 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 <laughs> I release the desire to compete and embrace my ability to create. We hope you've enjoyed our episode today on Creating Not Competing. I think it's a lovely topic and it's a beautiful one to take out into your lives. You can bring us more into your lives by going to lovelifeshow.com where we've got everything that you need at your fingertips. We've got everything on iTunes. We've got all of our archives there. We've got stuff on thewellnesscouch.com. We've got stuff on Facebook, which is Uh, yeah, facebook.com forward slash lovelifeshow. Love getting your messages. And until this time next week, um, create yeah and write us a review on our shoes <laughs> oh yeah but you can be great i love getting those reviews they're so nice Please, you can support us by subscribing to our feed and writing um a review at any time or anything like that joining our facebook chats on on, on the um the news feeders would be great but seriously until this time next week have a look at your life have a look at your competitiveness, remember that it's about your insecurities and give yourself a healthy dose of love. Life is perfect, I'm not trying it's just happening.